and welcome to detention, where government handouts are only okay if I get them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, got a question for you, Cody. What's up, man? How does a penguin build its house? One step at a time? I don't know. You think they step? They waddle. I guess. Yeah, they waddle. Uh, it glues it together. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) I love starting these things out with this. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to jump into sports, and we are going to kind of preface this a little bit, is that we do have a lot of things for sports that we wanted to talk about, so hopefully it doesn't actually take too long, but we're warning you, if you don't like sports, uh, a.k.a. Cody's brother, you may want to jump ahead. Just start, go to the 25-minute mark now, and we'll see. Yeah. So, starting off with football, uh, Cody did this with the NBA. A couple weeks ago, yeah. A couple weeks ago, it was shortly after the finals had wrapped up, I think, right? Yep. Where he wanted to see where and predict where teams are going to be for the following season, going into the playoffs, and potentially their seeding uh, moving next year. So, I did the same thing for the NFL, since that's a little bit more my sport, quote-unquote. I don't yeah. know. I'm still not very good at it. Well, it- Mainly is just I did it with players, but since there's 53 people to a roster, you had to do it a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't base it off of roster because there are so many 53 people on each NFL's roster. I didn't want to have to look at that. I just had to base off of uh, from that lineups website that you use um, what their offensive ranking was last season their defensive ranking, and then special teams rankings. And then based off of that, I would add each 32-team score together from those three categories and divide it by three. So you get a raw score of, on average, this is what their uh, score would be. Did that for every team. And then I went a little bit step further and decided, well, I have to figure out who they're playing, either at home or away. And then since I have scores for each one of those teams – and a color assigned to those teams based on that website, you kind of get a look of how difficult either a home or away schedule or just a schedule in general could be. And then I went through every team and their schedule and uh, decided, well, this probably would be a win or a loss based on how early it is in the season or if there's a bye week coming up or if it's a divisional game or just flat out, man, this team is a red color and they suck. So... They're probably going to win this one home or away. It doesn't matter. So I did all of that and then went through how they would fit up, wins, losses, winners of divisions, and if they'd be a wild card again to the playoff. So a lot of legwork. Yeah, so keep in mind, guys, Eric just started school again, so he did this prior. So now he has less free time to do all this, but this is what he does in his free time because he has too much of it in the summer. Uh, yeah. So this is how it went where, um, surprisingly my Dallas Cowboys had the best overall score in the NFC this past year. Yet, like we, uh, always seem to see in the last 25 years, they can't win a, uh, wild card playoff game mm. and advance into the playoffs, a playoff game, a playoff game. So it's really strange um, another team that was high up on a score was the Seattle Seahawks last year, though they were trash. I mean, it doesn't help that Russell Wilson was injured, but they also had a high score, which is surprising. Um, but for each division in the NFC, I have the Cowboys winning theirs. I have the Bucks winning theirs, Packers, and Cardinals. Those are my four uh, division, cha- division champs from the NFC. The uh, other three wild card teams I would get in, I would have the Rams at five, Vikings at six, and then the 49ers at seven. So those would be the seven playoff teams from the NFC that would get in going into February. For the AFC, I mean, the score that I got for the Bills was super surprising. They were almost number one in all three categories, so their score was super high. Um, so I'm like, well, they're going to probably be world beaters this season. I'm not aware of many trades that would have, uh, put any limitations on the rosters. 
Um, I don't think they really gained or lost anybody that would have any impact on how they perform. Obviously, injuries going through the season may be a little bit different. but So I have the Bills at the number one overall seed, followed by the Chiefs winning in their division. Then I would have the Titans winning theirs, and then the Ravens uh, winning in their division for the four division champs. And then the final wild three card or wild card teams, I would have the Broncos at five, the Raiders at six, and then the Bengals at seven. So again, the Bengals just barely making into the playoff. I don't think that they'll have as much as much success going into the season as a lot of people think they will. They have a really tough schedule, and obviously last year's schedule was a little bit more forgiving, so I don't think they're going to be um, as good going into the playoffs. So then that's who I have, and then I don't know if I should tell you who I have in the championship game or not. but Well, I already know one. The, the, I should say the actual Super Bowl, not the championship game. My bad. Got it. Yeah. Um, for the Super Bowl, I am picking it to be the Packers, uh, even after they lose Devontae Adams, and uh, the Bills. Bills I can see, Packers I cannot. Yeah. Um, just from your seating there, I would have to argue probably the Cardinals if they did some growing up from last year. Yeah. And that's, uh, uh, I think, a... Uh, Valid thought. I mean, they would play the Vikings in the first round for how I have them seated. And depending how the Vikings actually are, um, I don't think Kirk Cousins is a Super Bowl winning quarterback just because his numbers look good. But And he's from Michigan State. Yep. You, and fuck Michigan State, too. <laughs> but you also just have to win games on more athleticism, just standing in the pocket. He's mm-hmm. not mobile. He is pretty accurate, but you put enough pressure on him, he folds. So... That's my thoughts on the um, predictions for the Super Bowl. I like it. Other football news. Staying in the NFL right now, Baker Mayfield was named the starting quarterback for the Panthers. The only thing that I really have to touch on that is, well, one, I wasn't surprised. Me either. Sam Darnold sucks. Yeah, Sam Darnold handled it like a professional. I saw some quotes that he had, but what sucks is that Baker Mayfield is for sure the starter because Sam Darnold has a high ankle sprain right now, so he's going to be out with some time anyway. Mm-hmm. So it is Baker's team as of right now. And then we're going to move on to college football, and I'll let you touch on this one. Um, so Satan himself <laughs> has extended his contract a little bit further. Um, Nick Saban is now the highest-paid college football coach at a public university Again, Nick Satan. Nick Satan. There you go. That's a really good one. Nick uh-huh. Satan. Awesome. I like that. Um, Alabama's Board of Trustees approved a one-year extension uh, and a raise for Saban. So the amended deal now runs through February of 2030 and will pay him an annual salary of $11.7 million per year. I love sports, but the money that goes with it really makes me mad. I mean, it's SEC country. It's, it still doesn't matter. I remember when we were like in middle school or maybe a little bit younger and Kirk Ferentz was getting like just over $3 million a year and people were losing their goddamn fucking minds. You know how much I would love to have $3 million a year? I know. Yeah, for for coaching. So this comes after uh, his rival at Georgia, Kirby Smart, signed uh, in a contract extension after winning the national championship where he would get paid $11.2 million a year. So obviously Nick Saban has to be like, well, I'm going to outdo you. Right. Um, Saban's contract includes a provision in which he and the university can revisit annually. So though he still has another eight years after every season, they can still revisit it depending on Oh, they how. will too. Oh, yeah, they will. At a certain point. I mean, he's 70 right now, I think. Or at least pushing 70. He's up there. So it's like another eight years, you're going to be pushing 80 and still coaching? Mm, that seems a little bit too much. Um, if Saban's total guaranteed compensation is less, so this is a provision in the deal as well, if it is compensation is less than the average of the top three highest-paid coaches excuse me, in the SEC or less than the average of the – or – less than the average of the five highest paid coaches nationally, the university agrees to pay Saban the higher of the two averages. 
That's bullshit. I know, right? I don't know. Obviously, they're going to do whatever the fuck they want to keep him there. Right. But it's, it's literally like, well, if either the three highest paid SEC coaches are getting paid more than you, or the three or the five top nationally coaches are getting paid more than you, whichever one of those is higher, we'll just move yours to that. If it's higher than $11.7 million. That's dumb. Which is so outrageous. Um, it also included in the contract postseason bonuses. So he gets 75000 for appearing in the SEC championship game or 125000 for winning it. He gets 200000 for appearing in, the New Year, in a New Year's Six Bowl game, 400000 for appearing in a national championship semifinal game, uh, 600000 for appearing in a national championship game, or 800000 for winning the championship. So the dude can get almost an extra million dollar bonus for winning a national championship. Yeah. I like football, but college football is not that great. Well, when the SEC doesn't have other scholarship sports, this is what you can do with the extra revenue that you have coming in. That's fair. Just pay your coaches outrageous, outlandish amounts of money and just keep making their wallets fatter. Yep. All right. Moving out of football, going into basketball. Um, two former Iowa players who were drafted into the NBA last year, so their first full season done, Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp, uh, have extended their stay in the NBA. I know I was worried about Luca just, so be- just because he was on the, mo- the Detroit Motor City G League team for most of the season. He had a few games in the actual NBA. Um, but then got traded to the Portland Trailblazers. It was got on their dropped. S- dropped. Yeah. Portland signed him for the summer league. Then they dropped him. <laughs> yeah. So he is now going to be with the Minnesota Timberwolves, which I think that's a pretty good fit. Yeah. Um, he will potentially, from what I understand, I couldn't get many details from it. I think it's also just a two-way contract. I couldn't find... We could go to Des Moines to watch a game. And that's part of my notes here is that since it's probably a two-way contract, I didn't get any information about the actual dollar amount of what it's worth. Um, But he'll likely play or be placed on the Timberwolves G League team, and then he'll be playing for the Iowa Wolves, which is based in Des Moines. So... That's kind of cool. I mean, if we ever want to go, if there's a game closer to a weekend, we could probably do that. I think that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, it would. Um, Joe Wieskamp's deal is a little bit bigger, where he is reportedly having signed a two-year contract worth $4.4 million um, for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, It's the original team that drafted him. Yep. Um, He did get... Traded to a different team, didn't he? No, or? he signed. With, he was playing on their G League team, and then he was slated to play in the summer league this summer, but was injured, and so he didn't play pretty much all of summer league, and so they just re-signed him. Yeah, so he uh, he appeared in 29 games last season for the Spurs on a two-way contract, where he also played for the G League team, the Austin Spurs. Um, and he did pretty well. He averaged just over 13 points, almost five rebounds, and close to two assists playing about 31 minutes per game. So I think that's great. Two years, uh, $4.4 million. Hell, and if he can prove his spot on the roster, uh, hopefully he can actually continue to keep playing at that high level. Well, and with the Spurs right now, they are definitely in their rebuilding year after the great success that they had. So he's going to have enough time to play. Yeah, Unless they, for whatever reason, don't like him. But if they're willing to pay him for this much for a couple years, I would think they'd be willing to extend that out further, too. Barring injury, of course. Right. Um, And then the final piece for basketball is I saw that uh, Kevin Durant is staying with the Nets. Yes, he is. Okay. What was with all the drama with that, then? There's a lot of drama. I don't know all of it. I don't really care about most (laughs) of it. Um, But I have seen... I'm glad he's staying with the Nets. I think that it really – some of the things that I've seen is it's going to test his legacy. And I think him staying is good because you already know you can go somewhere else to win a championship, but it's it's supposed to be hard. Yes. Can you lead a team? Um, that's almost a direct quote from one – I think it was Lewis Rich, 
yeah, Lewis Riddick. No, no, Lewis Riddick. I don't know. Some sports commentator on ESPN pretty much said that exact same thing. But I am excited to see what he does because he can lead a team. I know he can. It's just whether or not he wants to. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. Um, you have a piece here on golf, which is a very random category. <laughs> it is, but I found this and I loved it. And so I had to share it. So while on the 15th green of the BMW championship, Rory McIlroy and Scott Stallings faced a remote control ball. Okay. So <laughs> the ball circled the hole about three or four times before McIlroy swatted it away. The ball tried to come back and he stood in the way of it, and then he Rory McIlroy faces the guy who has the remote control, and then he tried to get into the hole again, but it didn't happen because Rory McIlroy grabbed the ball and threw it in the water nearby. Nice. Yeah. People started booing the fan as he was ushered away. Apparently, he was yelling something like, this is my dream, whatever that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is my dream to just fuck around with a re- remote control golf ball. Right. And then... Uh, Scott Stalling said that had McElroy not stepped in, he was going to, but yeah. Interesting, man. You know, golf does have those weird rules. I shouldn't say weird rules because it would be like similar of someone running shirtless onto a, a football field right. during a game or doing something stupid on NBA game on the court. Right. Well, I mean, golf has crocodiles and yeah, so, some weird shit that happens like that, but a remote control ball. Mm-hmm. I want to know how that was engineered. That's the thing that confuses me. I think I've seen those. It's like the BB-8 toys that kids have. That little ball droid from Star Wars. Well, I, yeah, I know. It would be like that. Is. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just, again, fucking stupid to do it during a live golf event. But whatever, dude. <laughs> I, I saw that. I was like, this is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, And finishing up sports here with a couple of Iowa sports news. Since the season is starting for college football, they had their first slate of games in week zero yesterday. Um, And shout out to Northwestern. I'm only going to say that once because I don't like Northwestern, even though Pat Fitzgerald is a good coach. Yes. I still don't like them. (laughs) Not to the extent of like hating Sparty, but that's a different thing. Um, And just... Making sure Scott Frost knows his place <laughs> and that he still sucks at calling football. And they made so many points during that game of like, well, Scott Frost is no longer calling plays. He's letting his new offensive coordinator do all that. So he's not making any of the decisions for play calling. And then you could see, oh, yeah, they're doing okay. And then the one huge fuck up of, oh, I called the onside kick. Scott Frost said that. He's like, oh, cool. Well, that was the only momentum changing thing in the game that made it ensure that you lost so kudos to you fuck face um sorry my little rant there um iowa sports that's what we're on so i wanted to predict how iowa was gonna do with their football schedule and i've done this just personally to myself the last couple of years on a spreadsheet that i have um where i have a bunch of different categories um and then i pit those how iowa does against that team that they're playing for their schedule in those categories. So uh, last year's win total for the teams that they're playing this year, the projected win totals that they'll have for this year based on ESPN, um, whether or not the game is at Canuck or not, the date of when they're playing the teams. So obviously I would much rather play Northwestern earlier in the season, not later, because if you play them later, Obviously, Pat Fitzgerald's going to have a scheme that's going to fuck with you, and Iowa's most likely going to lose, um, as well as if they're a conference team, their offensive and defensive rank within the Big Ten, their just national offense and defensive ranking, um, their win percentage or within the last five years of playing that team, so what's the split in the last five seasons, and then just their overall history as a series. Like I said, he has way too much time. I do. I do. And then I just, however Iowa does in those categories, I will highlight them a certain color. There's a number associated to that, and I take the averages of those numbers, and I come down to a final number. So for what I have for this season, I have Iowa projected to win only six games. 
Now, I do factor in other stuff of like, well, I think their defense can probably edge out certain games and make that a little bit higher. I don't think it's going to be much higher. So I just made it so Iowa goes seven and five this year, where they'll win their first four games, then they'll lose to Michigan, beat Illinois, lose to Ohio State because that's in uh, the horseshoe, beat Northwestern. Lose to Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and then beat Nebraska at home. So then that puts them at seven and five overall, four and five in the Big Ten for a conference, and then fourth in the Big Ten West. So I'll do eight and four where I have the same thing except we beat Purdue. You think we're gonna beat Purdue? I think we're doing. We're gonna do it. I don't know. We lost two wide receivers to them. Yeah, but our defense have played it against them. They know how to play against them. Yeah, but the scheme's different. But but how they run routes is the same. The player doesn't change. The offense changes. Yeah, so my th- caveat to that would be, well, Charlie Jones and Tyrone Tracy know how Iowa's defense plays, so they know kind of where to be, and they kind of have seen those schemes because Iowa's not going to change those schemes. We're going to beat the big drum. Uh, huh? We're going to beat the big drum. You think? Watch it. Okay. Well, it is in West Lafayette, mm-hmm. so it's an away hey, game. Hey, we should go to that. You think so? Well, I can't go to the Nebraska game, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then that's my uh, project prediction for Iowa for this season. Um, finishing up with the ESPN came out, or I should say the AP, ESPN reported on it. Um, the preseason AP All-American first team defense. Iowa didn't make any players for the offense. Surprise, surprise. So, um so not surprisingly, two Iowa players did make it onto the defensive team. Who was that? And uh, rightfully so, Jack Campbell. Yeah. And I guess uh, rightfully so, Riley Moss. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, no hate to Riley Moss. Uh, very talented, and obviously I can't do any of that. Uh, when we go to our first game, I'm going to make a big sign that says, Riley, my friend hates you, but you're great. <laughs> And so they made it on the all-defensive team preseason, which I think is fantastic. Um, Looking at it, Georgia also made uh, two teams. Alabama has uh, three uh, players on the team. Um, Surprisingly, Iowa State has a member on there. So out of the state of Iowa, we have three, uh, which is fantastic to hear and see. Um, getting the respect that we continuously deserve on defense because Phil Parker knows what the fuck is up. Right. Right. All right. That's finishing up sports. 22 minutes. 23. 23. Okay. Well, now you can start listening, Zach. (laughs) Okay. Getting into news and politics. Uh, Obviously, there is a huge bit of political news that happened uh, this week with Biden doing his student loan forgiveness program. Thank God. Yeah. Um, I'll let you start off with that. I have less about what the actual policy is and more just opinions and frustrations about them. So let me get into that. I love this, obviously, because I have loans and I have to pay them off. But like I said, I want to touch on things that aren't the actual relief. And it's mainly I'm really annoyed of people who are mad that we are getting a handout. First off, I understand why they're mad because, you know, I could argue that if I didn't have loans or I had finished paying mine off, I might be upset too. I could make that argument. Knowing me, I probably wouldn't because whatever. Uh, But I've seen people pissed off because people are now going to be spending that money on trips and luxury items instead of paying what they owe. And I have a few things about that to comment on. First off... If people are able to spend money on products and services and not loans, it benefits the economy more than having to pay loans because most of the money you pay on loans is interest and it goes to one company that doesn't distribute it to a large part of the economy. Whereas you have the money that you spend, you can spend it on more than just one place or on more than one different type of thing. So therefore, it touches more parts of the economy, which makes it easier for everybody. Make standard living goes up. The more you touch on the economy, the better everyone else is. If you just focus on one part, it doesn't do a whole lot. I can see that. That makes sense. It's like if I were going to spend $1,000 to go on a trip, 
I'm obviously going to be paying that for food, gas, hotel, air, airfare, all that kind of stuff. That's at least four different sectors of the economy that's now getting at least some money to it, as opposed to me paying $1,000 on a loan from a bank that gave it to me while it's just going to them. Exactly. Nowhere else. Point number two. If they are going on trips, fucking good for them. We shouldn't have, like, why shouldn't we not enjoy life? You know, we are on this amazingly beautiful planet, and we should be able to spend our time seeing it in all of its wonders and not stuck working ourselves to death so that we can pay us alone. Like, so if they are spending on, if they are spending their money on traveling, good. Yeah, I don't get the whole argument against i mean they use the same argument for why uh, people aren't buying homes right they're too busy going on trips and shit to afford a home okay do i have to have a home right i mean i can rent the rest of my life if i really want to mm-hmm. is it advantageous for me to do so no but if it allows me or other people to potentially go out and travel and see the world more it's just however you view your finances of what you want to do with it it's my fucking money Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like J.G. Wentworth. Yeah. It's your money. Do the fuck what you want with it. Right. The whole idea that if it doesn't benefit me, then we shouldn't do it mentality is such bullshit. I, I shared this post on Facebook, and I'll see if we can get it shared on our Twitter page um, in case you do want to read it because I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's by AOC, um, and and it's about how not every government program will benefit everybody but when you think about it college is so grossly expensive and student loans is the only way that some people are able to pay for it and it's there to make people better off and benefit everyone in the future like college is a good thing so why are we making these people in debt for the rest of their lives to benefit the rest of society and it's just most of these people don't have the experience required to have high paying jobs, especially right out of college, to be able to pay for all of these things, such as reducing student debt. So if you do um, reduce the student debt, it will make it easier on people who have them to make their lives easier and then able to contribute to society going back to the whole economy thing. If you pay on your debt to this one bank, it only touches that bank, whereas you're able to go to four or five different places. Yeah, sure, it goes to those four or five different places, but that all trickles down somewhere. Yeah. Lastly, education should be free. And if you don't agree with me, let's at least try to compromise here, at least the majors that are important to improvising society, um, such as engineering, business, teaching, things along those lines, medical care. You know, at least make those free so that way the people who are trying to contribute to society. I mean, as much as I love actors and movies, if you're getting a theater major, not something that should really be funded by everybody. If, if you're getting a degree in literature, same kind of thing. Probably not something that's going to benefit everybody. But for those that do, that are like a public service, such as teaching, definitely should be free. Medicine should be free. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota, has that exact same sentiment. So, so I mean, if you don't think that all education should be free, which I believe it should, let's at least compromise on that. That's what I have on student loan forgiveness. I love it. Um, so I did pull a clip from a short little video that was put together from President Biden at the White House that I will now play and just kind of let it speak first and then i'll break it down into its different categories so we'll go ahead and have that play now hey folks i wanted you to hear it right from me we put out a plan to bring relief to millions of working and middle class people with student loans here's what you should know we're going to forgive ten thousand dollars of federal student loan debt keeping my campaign promise for the people who need the help the most the folks who went to school on pell grants we're going to forgive a total of twenty thousand dollars We're going to target this relief. Help is going to go to people making less than $125,000 a year. Next, 
We're going to give anyone with undergraduate loans a chance to sign up and cap your loan payments at 5% of your monthly income. I also want to make sure folks have enough time to transition back to paying regularly. So we're going to extend the student loan pause one final time through December 31st of this year. There's a lot more here, more than I have time to say in this video, but I'll leave you with this. Our middle-class families deserve breathing room. It's the whole reason I ran. This plan will give opportunity to millions of families who need it the most. So, obviously, there's not too much there. It's less than a minute clip. But basically, what he has announced is that he is forgiving federal student loan debt up to, for at least you have a Pell Grant recipients, $20,000, and then up to $10,000 for others who qualify. Um, Americans currently owe about $1.62 trillion in federal student loans. Um, Biden's plan will provide relief to most of them, close to 43 million borrowers, and will completely erase the student debt of about 20 million. Um, I think this is hugely important just because I was listening to uh, Rob Reiner, the producer, writer, and actor, talk about how when he was going to college back in like the late 60s and 70s and stuff, that he would pay less than $300 of tuition for an entire year at UCLA. So obviously the amount for college tuition has grossly uh, inflated over the last half a century to the point of where, yeah, people like us who do go to college nowadays literally have to pull out loans, and, the, and that's the business of it, where college is so expensive you have to pull out loans in order to pay for it unless your parents are paying for it themselves because they're rich people and they're, they can do that. Um, and that puts a huge burden on us. So yeah, I'm with you there. I think college should also be free. And if we can't go a hundred percent there, cause obviously the world is so divided on that topic and many others. Yeah. Meet in the middle, make it for more essential quote unquote essential positions. I think that's fair. If we're talking about the price difference yeah. from 300 to now, because you said UCLA, right? Mm -hmm. While I'm saying this, look up the tuition for UCLA. Right now? Yeah. Okay. So I just, you can, if you ever are curious of what the price difference between a time is, just Google CPI calculator, and it'll be from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In January of 1965, $300 to July of 2020 equates to $2,848.81. And UCLA's tuition is what right now? Uh, for California residents, it's $37,448. $35,000 difference. Yeah. For non-residents, it's closer to $70,000 per year. So, makes sense. And I was never told going into it that one college is this expensive and it is just going to be this expensive, but two, you're going to have to pull out loans to do it. So it's almost like in a way I'm being penalized for trying to go to college because my entire life I was being pushed to go to college. And then these, uh, institutions are purposely having not only high interest rates, but then covering so many massive universities for loan coverage because they know so many people are going to go to it, feeding that system. So it seems a little bit deceptive in my mind as to why, okay, yeah, maybe some of this should be forgiven because some of it's kind of fucked up. Um, individuals with this, uh, these student loans making under $125,000 a year or couples making less than $250,000 a year are the ones that qualify for the $10,000 forgiveness. Um, though it is exciting, it's not automatic. The White House did say that in order to benefit from this uh, forgiveness program, most borrowers do have to submit an application to verify their income. Um, there are a certain number of people that already have their income listed for their institutions of where their loans are coming from. So some of those are automatic, but not all of them. So it's always good to, once the federal government has rolled out these applications, double check with your institution and make sure that you are going to be one of these covered by the uh, pro the loan forgiveness program. Um, and what one thing that I really liked about this is that there was a clause that at, was added that would require borrowers to pay no more than 5% of their discretionary income monthly 
uh, for undergrad, under, undergraduate loans. Previously, it was 10%. Now it's five, so it's cut in half. Makes it a lot more manageable to pay back your loans because it's not dependent on 10% of your actual income. So that's huge. Um, my last little bit with this, and maybe you can comment on this on, on, as well, is that obviously a lot of Republicans are having issues with this because they're seeing it as a handout, and that's what we get into our lead-in for this episode, um, saying that it's not right and that it will actually raise inflation. However, it has come to light that several Republican officials, especially ones that are currently serving in our elected offices, had received hundreds if not millions of dollars in loans during the payback protection program that was going on during COVID for uh, business owners that had 500 or less employees. Well, the federal government did say that you no longer have to pay back those loans. So does that count also as a government handout? And what, if so, how come inflation isn't as bad as you think? Because that totaled way more than what this is going to be. So that's kind of my thought process. If you're going to bitch and moan about people potentially getting some of their loans wiped out for a lot of people completely wiped out based on their education, the decisions that they made to go educate themselves for a better job, but you being a business owner taking that risk and, well, COVID happened. Under the uh, law of business, you probably should have went under, but the government did give you a handout and a loan to help, and it's a loan. You have to pay it back. It's not a grant. Oh, and the federal government says, oh, no, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Where's the, where's the crocodile tears for that? Exactly. I don't know. No, you're absolutely right. So that's kind of my big beef with this. Um, I did find a website. It's the studentaid.gov slash debt relief announcement website for more information on the Biden-Harris, technically is what it's called, um, student loan forgiveness program. So if you want to look into it more, there is a lot more information there to help you out too. I will. I think this is the last thing I'll say about this before we move into the next topic, but I am glad that if there was anything from his campaign that was going to actually fall through, mm -hmm. I'm glad it was this one. Yeah. And it's, a, I mean, he did fulfill a campaign promise. Right. And it's not only just because it benefits me. It benefits a lot of people that is going to make their lives a lot easier. Oh, yeah. It's like 87% of the money that's being used for this for loan forgiveness is going to, like, people who are making less than $75,000 a year. That's me. Yeah, definitely me, too. I think that's you and I combined still less. Yeah. So it's... And none of it is going to, like, the top 1% families that are having, you know, kids go to Harvard and shit like that. So, fantastic. And the next topic that we're going to talk about is uh, going back to the Ukraine war, but a little bit of a different perspective. So, two weeks ago, a Russian paratrooper by the name of Pavel uh, Filatayev, I think I pronounced that right? Sure. <laughs> spoke out against the conflict in Ukraine and then promptly fled the country. Here are some of the things that he had to say on an interview with CNN. We understood that we dragged, that we were dragged into a serious conflict where we are simply destroying towns and not actually liberating anyone. Many understood that we do not see the reason that our government is trying to explain to us that it is all a lie. We are just destroying peaceful lives. The fact immensely... This fact immensely influenced our morale, that feeling that we are not doing anything good. He also said corruption and repression are rife in his country and said that his unit was ill-equipped and given little explanation for Russians' invasions. According to him, the soldiers and their commanders did not know what they were expected to do in Ukraine and that they soon became disillusioned with the government's reasoning for its invasion after arriving in Kirsten and faced resistance from locals who did not want to be, quote, liberated. Imagine that. Yeah. You invade a country and people don't want you to be Fuck there. Fuck you. I'm not Russian. I'm Ukrainian. Exactly. Yeah. In regards to the equipment that the soldiers were dealing with, what he said was, our barracks are about 100 years old and we are not able to host all of our servicemen. All of our weapons are from the times of Afghanistan, which was in the 70s, 80s. Several days after we encircled Kirsten, many of us did not have food, water, or sleep sacks on us. 
because it was very cold at night, we couldn't even sleep. We had to find some rubbish, some rags, just to uh, wrap ourselves to keep warm. Jesus. Yeah. He's terrified by what, by what is happening in his country, and he said the, on, the only laws that work are repressive ones. Imagine that. He knows that the Kremlin will either imprison him or kill him, and to that, he said, I don't see any other way out. If it happens, it happens. Oh, well, I mean, that's pretty badass. Right. He knows what's coming down the pike, but he's like, fuck it. Yeah, and this is my own two cents on this, but it, it is exactly people like this. That create change. They're willing to make the biggest sacrifice to make people realize what is going on and to make people take action. I hope he doesn't die for what he said, but the world needs to come together against Russia, just like they did in Germany in 1945, and get this shit under control. Yeah. Um, All of that makes sense when you were reading it through of how the soldiers were very disillusioned. They don't know what they were doing there. Very ill-equipped because... The thought process was Russia's going to invade and Ukraine's going to fall within a couple weeks, right? Uh, it's still going on several months later, and you're like, hmm, well, they're not really making as much progress as we had thought, and the Ukrainians are actually doing very well at holding them back, obviously with aid. Right. But, like, you would still think... Imagine being a, quote-unquote, global superpower and having to equip your soldiers with weapons from the 80s. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, it, uh, it might be a pattern. I don't know. They failed in Afghanistan just like the United States failed in Afghanistan and Iraq. So uh, maybe it's a pattern. They're probably using weapons during that invasion during the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, maybe using closer to 60s or 50s technology. Who yeah. knows? Um, I haven't looked into it that much for that. Yeah. I hope that guy doesn't die, but you know how Russia is. They'll mm-hmm. find a way. Yep. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and move on to local news. Um, I get to brag about one of my city's colleges for a little bit. So Coe College is the only Iowa college or university to be nationally recognized by the Princeton Review in three crucial higher education categories. Those were Best Career Services, Most Accessible Professors, and Best Alumni Network. Hmm. On top of that, they were also the highest rated in the state for internships. So they were 17th nationally for career services, 20th for Most Accessible Professors, 20th for the Best Alumni Network amongst private schools, and 10th for internships. So be... Beyond the best 388 colleges and top 20 rankings for internships, career services, accessible professors, and alumni network, the Princeton Review also continues to recognize Coe College as the best Midwestern and best value college, Hmm. which is really impressive. The one thing I will say is fucking expensive. Even if you live in state, it is hella expensive. Yeah, it's private. Yeah. Which, yeah. I was... Wondering there how they'd be ranked so high for this uh, Princeton review, and it's as you alluded to, it's only for private schools that they're doing this for, right? Nope. This one, the uh, the best alumni network is just for private schools, but the other ones are not. But yeah, the Princeton review reviews uh, twenty eight hundred uh, four year colleges and universities nationally. Oh, okay. And out of the twenty eight hundred, they're in the top three eighty eight. And top 20 for all those. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This one I just became uh, aware of. I have no notes on it. I'll let you cover it. I literally just saw this the other day while I was watching football. I'm like, oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you know anything about the Little League World Series, I'm going to break it down very quickly. It's, I think, 13 and under kids playing baseball. And you have two different brackets. You have the the United States bracket and then the international bracket. And then a bunch of teams playing for different divisions to represent that division well. Iowa won the Midwest division. But unfortunately, they had a nice run, but they were knocked out. So the team from Davenport, Iowa, like I just said, won the bid to be the Midwest division of the Little League World Series. In order to be knocked out of the Little League World Series, it requires two losses. Um, so they had lost their first game against the Great Lakes Division 7-8. to eight. They went on to win their next two games against the Northwest Division 6-3 to three, and then the Mountain Division 10-2. to two. 
Unfortunately, they played the Southwest Division and lost 4-0. to But congratulations to that team. Let's try to go farther next year. The championship is actually being held today between the West Division in the of the United States bracket and then the Caribbean of the international bracket. And one thing to note, though, is that the West Division, in the five games that they have played, have only had two runs scored against them while they have scored 47. Holy shit. Yeah. So <laughs> I think they're favored to win because the Caribbean has already lost once. Okay. Yeah, I would say they'd probably be favored to win. Um, and if any of these young men are uh, continuing to play baseball, uh, there is a big college in Iowa that would love to have you and a great coach that would also love to have you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, surprise topics. Um, I'll move into mine. I titled mine the Kenyan presidential candidate Ganja Tribe. So, and I am totally going to butcher this name. I am 100% sorry. There's no way this guy is ever going to see or hear this, but for anyone that knows how I pronounce names, this is going to be a complete butchering. George Wajakoya is uh, apparently a presidential candidate uh, running for president in Kenya. He is behind the two front runners, uh, Ralia Odiga and then William Ruto. Um, but he has what he calls his Ganja tribe and has gained attention in the local media and for younger voters. Um, he is campaigning on marijuana and hyena testicles to solve the country's economic problems. Um, he has attracted younger members uh, of his electorate, um, with many saying controversial politicians have failed to tackle corruption, inflation, and unemployment, and they feel that his policies may alleviate some of that for them, as well as being able to smoke pot. Um, the, the former grave digger turned law professor, which is a huge turnaround, yeah. I think that's amazing, um, has polled in at just about 2% of total votes, but could have a say in the election if he endorses one of the other two frontrunners uh, for them to basically take the votes since he has such a low percentage, he's not going to win anyway. Um, he does have a very small budget. His rallies involve him basically arriving to local markets unannounced, blaring reggae music from his car, and pitching his presidency or his candidacy to onlookers. Uh, during his campaign trail, he has promised to wipe out Kenya's near uh, $70 billion or $57.9 billion, whatever their local currency is, debt by establishing a uh, medical cannabis industry, which is why he has the Ganda tribe, and then exporting animal parts to China, where he says hyena testicles are considered a delicacy as a way of paying off their debt, which is interesting. I'm not sure if I really favor the idea of selling animal parts to different countries because that's a little inhumane, but whatever. We sell chicken around the world. I, true. I guess so. Um, his biggest dream, he says, is that he wants to be able to smoke ganja in the president's office. So that's why he was running for president. What a self-made man. I know, right? Former grave digger turned law professor. Let me tell you what. The idea to legalize marijuana for uh, economic purposes... Not a bad idea. No, hell of a good idea. The And if you could get a good price for hyena balls, yeah, sure. I don't know what they run. I don't know what the market, but... I'm just not going <laughs> to even care about that, but awesome. Yeah. Mine is titled Mussolini 2.0 question mark. Okay. How excited are you? Um, for fascism, always. Okay. <laughs> so, Giorgia Mal Maloney... Yeah, Maloney who is an alt-right politician of the Brothers of Italy party, which apparently has roots in neo-fascism, is campaigning to be the country's next leader, and if she won, it would make her the first female prime minister of Italy. Oh. She opposes abortion rights, has spoken out about same-sex marriage, and recently has made a statement trying to convince people that she isn't a threat to democracy in three different languages. <laughs> Side note on this, though, is uh, I feel like if you truly aren't a threat to democracy, you probably don't need to tell people that. But whatever. But the worst part's yet to come. You ready for this? Sure. On Monday, she tweeted out a video of a Ukrainian woman being raped by a person from Guinea seeking asylum in Italy. With the video, here's what she captioned with it. One cannot remain silent in the face of the 
this atrocious episode of sexual violence against a Ukrainian woman carried out in daytime in Piacenza by an asylum seeker. A hug to this woman. I will do everything I can to restore security to our cities. The backlash was immediate. Uh, Ijiaba Skego, a prominent Italian writer of Somali heritage, wrote that Maloney's tweets was clickbait uh, voyeurism and that her campaign was horrendous. Carlo Calenda, another Italian politician, called the tweet immoral and said, reporting a rape is one thing. Using the video for election purposes is simply unworthy. And Enrico Letta, who served as the country's prime minister from April 2013 to February 2014, tweeted, respect for people and victims always come first. Maloney, however, has doubled down. She wrote on Facebook that her rivals were attacking her instead of focusing on the, quote, immigration emergency, saying recently that the Navy should set up a block of North America to prevent migrants from entering Italy. This emergency is probably the same happy horseshit that uh, emergency that Trump was spewing about Mexicans. Yeah. So following the backlash, she also tweeted the delusional mystifications of the left against me continue. Sounds oddly familiar, huh? (laughs) Italy's general election takes place on September 25th, and unfortunately, she is somehow favored to win. Last week, we talked about Italian politicians and how we weren't sure what the differences were, and, well, they seem to have many problems that we have, so I'm really glad to know that we're not the only fucked-up country in this world. Oh, no, it happens quite a bit. Um, two comments on this. Uh, what's her last name? Maloney. M-E-L-O-I. Uh, gotcha. Rhymes with baloney, so fuck her. <laughs> um, and she's also part of the, what do you say, Brothers of Italy? Mm-hmm. No offense, and I'm sorry I'm going to make this sexist take here, but she's a woman in the Brothers of Italy. Does that make her a sister of the Brothers of Italy? I don't know. Interesting. I just want to make a comment on that, because I'm like, how? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> It's, I, to me, that's the same kind of logic of uh, Amy Coney Barrett being a constitutional originalist. Oh, yeah, fair Does, point. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Just the fact that you were going to use a video of a rape of a woman to try to get elected by saying this is an immigration problem, that's fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the whole idea behind it is thoughts and prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers, always. Jesus. Uh, moving into entertainment, um, the f- thing that I found interesting that I had saw and was re- I saw it reported by CNN, and I'm sure others have done it too, is uh, Snoop Dogg is going to have a children's show. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so Snoop Dogg is expanding his empire to include uh, something for kids. The ra- the rapper, actor, entrepreneur has entered the world of children's programming with the new animated kids series. Doggy Land, Kids Songs, and Nursery Rhymes, which is on YouTube and YouTube Kids. Uh, Snoop Dogg partnered with Claude Books, the Emmy-nominated nominated, nominated, <laughs> producer and uh, creator of the children franchise Hip Hop Harry and the singer-songwriter October London on the project that features a colorful cast of dogs who use songs, dance, and rap to teach social, emotional, and cognitive skills aimed at toddlers to eight-year-olds. The rapper voices the main character, Bow Wizzle, (laughs) uh, who serves as the adult mentor to the rest of the cast, including Wags, who is uh, always cheering his friends on, Yap Yap, a high-spirited character known for her positive and cheery personality. Chow Wow, uh, an em- emphatic team member, and Barks a Lot, the curious one who is always discovering new adventures. Uh, Snoop Dogg is quoted as saying, As a father, grandfather, and longtime youth football coach, it's always been important to me to build positive and educational environments for all children. We wanted to bring our show to YouTube and YouTube Kids, which provides free access to everyone so all kids can enjoy it. That sounds great. I know. Um, I may peep in to watch a few and just see how it is. Because I think hearing Snoop Dogg voice an animated dog sounds awesome to me. (laughs) Um, Apparently, with the launch, there are already four episodes of Doggy Land on youtube that are available new episodes uh drop every week on tuesday 
So if there's anyone out there that has kids and is a fan of uh, Compline or not Comp, yeah, Compline, Compton, listen to this show. I'm fucking up so bad right now. <laughs> well, good news is Eric and I are going to be starting a bowling league soon. And so oh, yeah. he'll come home from bowling and then just watch, what's it called again? It, it is the, fuck, where'd it go? Oh, Doggyland, Kids Songs and Nursery Rhymes. All right. Let me know how that goes. Maybe it'll help with my cognitive fucking <laughs> Um, So you had bad movie guesses last week. Yep. I have them this week. Let's do it. Staying with the three. Here we go. A wannabe popular kid fakes sex to make money. Easy, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was pretty easy. Okay. This one I'm sure you'll also get. Uh, traumatized teen befriends two socialites and is forced to confront his depression. Oh, this is Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yep. All right. I need to start going to ones that you haven't seen. Uh, I don't, That's not fair. <laughs> maybe you haven't seen this one, though. I don't know. I know I have. Uh, ugly, ugly girl learns she is royalty and changes her whole personality. Yeah, Princess Diaries. Yeah, Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy week. I did an easy week for you. So how about you feed me a couple fucking bones? All right. I got you next week. All right, um, social events. You want to hit them up? Sure. Uh, this next weekend, we got Midwest Old Threshers Reunion in Mount Pleasant, Iowa from September 1st to 5th. This is a gathering of steam engines and antique cars, trucks, and tractors. Also, that features a horse pole, concerts, square dancing, and a parade. In Wisconsin, you got the Wisconsin Highland Games in Waukesha from September 2nd through the 4th. In addition to heavy athletics, such as throwing weights, hammers, logs, and sacks of hay, there will be piping, drumming, dancing, longbow competitions, dog demonstrations, and traditional Scottish food. Sounds awesome. Mm, Just like Scottish Highlands? Yep. And then in the Frankfurt Fall Fest in Frankfurt, Illinois from September 3rd through the 5th, the festival... In the southern suburb of Chicago, features more than 300 artisans, music, and a carnival, and a parade on Sunday. It's also going to be Labor Day weekend this this next weekend. Yes, it will. So, obviously, go out and enjoy it. Yeah, got to do some grilling. Mm -hmm. I'll be volunteering for work at a food truck festival. Yeah, if you're in Waterloo, come to the food truck festival in Waterloo. There you go. There's another one. There's a very local one. Yeah. Um. Going into unpopular opinions, mine feeds into the football that we talked about earlier. So sorry, Zach, more sports coming. Um, I think the Cowboys will make it to the NFC Championship game. And you are wrong. And that's where I said uh, I think it'll be at least in the Super Bowl. It'll be the Bills and Packers. So I have the Cowboys playing the Packers in the NFC Championship game, which would be played in Green Bay. And that's why I think... Uh, the Cowboys will probably lose. Um, and the way that I have it laid out right now is that it would be the Cowboys playing the Rams, but it would be at AT&T Stadium. So that's a little bit of a benefit. However, it's against the fucking Rams. Um, and Aaron Donald. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? But that's my unpopular opinion. Fuck it. They're not going to just get win one playoff game. Mm. They're going to win two. <laughs> We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's a little bit more, let's say, controversial. Um, if anyone is offended by it, I'm sorry, but you're kind of proving my point here. <laughs> Hypersensitivity is annoying the shit out of me. And I have a bunch of different pinpoints on this. So I think there are very important things to be sensitive about, such as if someone is being blatantly racist, sexist, or harassing you, etc., along those lines. But if you accidentally misgender someone and that person wigs out, calm down. Just tell me what you prefer to be called. I'll do it right. Wasn't trying to offend you. But if you freak out right away, it isn't fair to the person who made the mistake. To me, that's like if a kid accidentally spilled some food on the floor and the parent just started freaking out and screaming at the top of their lungs when it was just a genuine accident. Also, the fact that we have to change all of this vocabulary. For an example, neurodivergent and prostitute. People with ADHD are now being called neurodivergent, and a prostitute is now a sex worker. Okay, I understand that. 
Sure, both of those things are true, but now it's apparently wrong to say that someone is a prostitute, even though it is the correct definition if you are having sex for money. Um, that is the correct definition. And not to take any way for people who do do that, obviously. Right. If that is your profession, all the power to you. It's your body, your choice, and you make yeah. your money however. Absolutely. I'm so. not shaming it um, because the definition of a sex worker is just doing sexually um, motivated things for money. doesn't always refer to sex, so they are different. Um, but a prostitute is a sex worker at some point, but there's just more defined. And then... Um, saying someone has ADHD and then they actually say, well, actually I'm neurodivergent just annoys the shit out of me. (laughs) Sure. You're neurodivergent, but it's because you were diagnosed with ADHD. Neurodivergent is an umbrella term like mental illness. You have to define which subcategory you are. Why not just get right to the point and say what it is? It's not a bad thing. You shouldn't be ashamed of it, but nope. You're neurodivergent as well as a good chunk of the fucking population. doesn't make you special. Yeah, I guess. It's like You don't have to share it, though. That's the thing, too. Right. I make the comparison to mental illness because I have depression. Would, would it be – I could get there in two ways. I could say, well, I have a mental illness. Oh, which one? Depression. Or I could just say, hey, I have depression. You know which one it is? Yeah, but then just same thing there of like you could say, well, I'm neurodivergent. Like, okay, well, which one? Right. And then you could say it. I, but they're just they're switching to neurodivergent because it's less offensive. How the fuck is saying you have ADHD offensive? It's like saying, "Oh, I, you have depression." Yeah, you're right. I guess to a point, it's probably just wanting to keep some type of um, animosity of like, yeah, I I I prefer not to actually tell you what it is specifically. So I'm just gonna tell you right now, there is some clinical diagnosis that I have that makes my brain work a little bit differently. I don't know. It, it it really isn't that big of a deal, but everything is getting so fucking hypersensitive that it really annoys me. And I think it's mainly because even people our age are expecting to hear, like, let's see. We're expecting to hear something that has changed and everyone just be cool with it, right? And not only just to be cool with it, but be cool with it right away and changing right away. And we're not trying to help people adapt to the change and give them time to change. It's ridiculous that we want people to accept everything and change as soon as possible, but when they don't do that, we get all fucking pissy, and it's bullshit. Yeah. I would think there's obviously extents to that as well. So give some grace to older generations that were born in the 30s and 40s and don't quite have an understanding of what the world is today. Right. That makes sense. Give them a little bit of grace. Don't expect them to change on the uh, flip of a head just because the times have changed. And don't even be surprised if they don't change. Yeah. Uh, be a little bit more combat, not combative. That's not the right word I'm trying to look for. But be a little bit more on top of people who are roughly our age, who are growing up in this world and still choose to just subscribe to those old right. kind of lines of thinking. So, again, it's a whole spectrum kind of understand of where that person was born in that time period the norms of that time yeah they should probably still try to adapt because they're still alive but understand that during their fundamental developmental years that shit wasn't there yet so i'm more than happy to call people whatever they want to be called my biggest frustration is when people just start wigging out right away it's like you got to give people time to change you have to yeah. Because then you just become an asshole. And I I think going forward in the future, sorry, I think I just hit my mic, um, that'll be more of a common thing of like instead of saying, hi, my name is Cody or my name is Eric, it is hi, I am blank, pronouns are, and it's just kind of the, the formal greeting that's going to be moving forward. I'm not opposed to it because it does definitely help. Like you said, if you're running into someone on the street and you start talking to them and you accidentally misgender or mis get the wrong pronouns and they get upset by it. It's like, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, so I'll obviously correct that for you going forward. Right. But I'm not necessarily automatically going to assume anything otherwise. Yeah. So yeah, I can understand giving a little bit of pushback there, but 
it's I have no problem with pushback, but yeah. that just it, it's annoying me right now. Um, finishing up this episode with this day in history for August 28th, starting with the most recent and going back the furthest in time. Uh, we have in 1981, John Hickley pleads innocent to his attempted assassination of U.S. President Ronald Reagan, uh, even though there is obviously video footage of him uh, trying to shoot him as he is uh, entering or exiting his lim- limousine. Uh, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. delivers his I Have a Dream speech addressing on March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, for Civil Rights, um, at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. In 1955, Chicago teenager Emmett Till is kidnapped, beaten, and then shot by, uh, I think, three or four white men in Money, Mississippi. His killers were then eventually acquitted in all charges, uh, but the case helps ignite the U.S. civil rights movement in the South during that time. And then lastly, for dates in 19, or sorry, 1884, the first known photograph of a tornado is made near Howard, South Dakota. And if you ever look it up, it looks uh, scary as hell just because it's just a giant dark funnel cloud just in a gray background. It looks pretty weird. Uh, famous birthdays for today. We have Jack Black, the actor and comedian, uh, Shania Twain, the singer songwriter, Army Hammer, the actor, um, probably best known for his role in social network. And then Jennifer Coolidge, the actress. Um, so legally blonde, the whole, I'm taking the car, dumbass. That kind of, yeah, that girl. Yeah. Um, so that finishes up this week's episode of the detention podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Please spread the word and encourage others to listen as well. Um, you can follow the detention podcast on Twitter at detention pod one, uh, or you can send us an email at detention podcast one at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing. Give us comments, suggestions of topics you want to talk about. Um, you can listen to the Detention Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, your detention has been served, and we will see you again next week.